Hey guys, it's James Chester here. You're listening to the Gather Round the Lamp podcast by underagaslitlamp.com. Gather Round the Lamp, an Aston Villa podcast. Welcome back to Gather Round the Lamp, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by UndreGaslitLamp.com. Today we'll be discussing the fallout from the defeat to Liverpool at the weekend and also having a quick look at certain highlights from the club's latest financial reports. My name's Andy and today I'm joined by Craig and Dan. Hi everyone, great to be back. Um, I am um, pleased to be to have the opportunity to discuss another Aston Villa defeat. Not really, um, but we'll get into that. Uh, nice to be back. Hey, everyone down here. I'm glad to be back and fighting back the tears of Trez's injury so I can talk about the, the defeat with you. Oh dear, yes. Yeah, we'll, we'll get on to, uh, to, to Trez again a bit. Um, but we, obviously, you know, on Saturday we had the, the rare pleasure of uh, a 3pm kick-off in the Premier League. Uh, not something that happens very often these days, um, as Villa looked to um, complete a double over the champions, uh, Liverpool, this season. Dean Smith made two changes, bringing in the Camber and Sanson, for, for Sanson, sorry, and Trezeguet was rewarded for his match-winning display against Fulham with El Ghazi's starting position. It was one-way traffic in the first half, um, as the gap in quality between the two squads sort of showed through, really. Mings was very fortunate, uh, um, reasonably early in the game, when another error lapse in judgment, letting Salah only for him to prod the ball wide of Martinez as he as he closed him down. Villa appeared desperate to get to half-time level, but with only minutes remaining in the first half, Ollie Watkins, with a smart bit of control and turn and shot, forced the handling error from Allison. And he added to his increasingly impressive first season total. I thought, nice move, good finish. Um, this was a, a brief sma- snapshot for me of the uh, the pre-COVID Villa, um, who was so ruthless. Um, what did you What did you make of this when it went in? I, I think for me it was a bit of a snapshot of the game too. I think it was one-way traffic for Liverpool for a lot of the game, and and Villa took their chance well, but. I'm pleased for Ollie Watkins. He's had a great first season, especially since Jack's been out. He's cut a lonely figure up front, and and I can only imagine how frustrating it must be to put the work in that he does and and have so much weight on his shoulders. And even though it was a handling mistake by Allison, you make your own luck, right? And I think it was a smart bit of control, as you say, and he he took the shot nice and early too, which forced the mistake out of Allison. And yeah, I, I think he's a guy absolute on top of his game at the moment confidence is flowing after that England performance and nice to have a cheeky little ball up the shirt celebration as well he's obviously got some sleepless nights and some good news ahead of him which which hopefully won't affect his form too much but yeah as you say Andy I think it's that's Ollie Watkins all over works hard gets a chance takes it and I honestly can't remember I mean Tammy aside the last time we had such a clinical finisher there at Villa Park and he's missed a fair few this season too. Probably not since Benteke, I think. But um, I think that first-half performance speaks to what you can achieve when you have a solid defence. I think for much of last season, and and some mistakes have crept back in this year, don't get me wrong, Um, but for much of last season, we had to score two or three goals every week to try and win a game of football because the defence was so porous. And yes, eventually we did concede later on uh, in the game, but we're talking about Liverpool, we're talking about the champions which I think lots of people seem to have forgotten just how good this Liverpool team is and has been. If you need a reminder of how good they are, just look at their first goal, Mo Salah's goal. Look at that one two-touch passing, like a hot knife through butter it was. Uh, I watched that goal to see who I was going to blame that goal on. And there's no one to blame. It was just a lovely move from Liverpool um, that, um, that deserved a goal in the end. So I think if we keep it tight, you know... Even without Jack on the pitch, we can always grab a goal. And um, uh, echoing everything that Dan said about Watkins, a lovely finish, hit it hard, hit it low. Um, I think, you know, lots of times when you're in that position, you always want 
your striker to ask the goalkeeper a question. You know, make him work, make him make a save. And Alisson wasn't up to it. 1-0 Aston Villa and um, yes, it was against your own play. But again, I'll repeat, that is the... That is why you try and have a solid defence, because if you can keep it nil-nil, especially with a Dean Smith side, you can always grab a goal and get a point or a win. Yeah, I think for me it was it was just a sign that that, that is still there. That that little that that sharp bit of quality still exists in the Villa squad, despite us um struggling of late. And I think we saw it last week um as well for the the last ten minutes of the game where where we, we, we obviously took the game away from Fulham. Um, so it was, yeah. The the first half had been had been difficult. I think Liverpool, obviously, just showed showing their quality in that first half. But um, I felt that that showed that that we are dangerous opposition um, these days. We're not. We're not. Um, the 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 nearly men really. We can compete at that level. Um, but obviously, there are parts of the team, there are elements of the team which are. Um, a long way behind the likes of Liverpool, even a, a Liverpool side that yeah have been have been really struggling this season. Massive hangover from last season, I think, and and have just have just really struggled. But the the quality is there to be seen, and you know even with you know one or two players missing, they 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 just had had that 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 edge of quality over us, which um which 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 sort of shone through. But I mean we went we went in. Um, we went in at the break, uh, one nil up, mainly partly thanks to um, a VAR decision as well. Um, Firmino thought he'd scored very late on in the first half, only for the the VAR decision to go against him with with Jota being in a, an offside position as he as he set up the goal. Um, I just wanted to ask you about the, you guys about this. We've not really discussed VAR since you you guys have been on on the podcast. Um, it's easy to kind of criticise VAR when decisions go against uh, Aston Villa, um, but there appeared to be a, a kind of collective viewpoint really that you know this kind of decision and the process in particular of coming to these decisions um, are kind of you know are negatively affecting the game and have been for some time. Um, we're finding more and more pundits, coaches, and players are speaking out against VAR, um, and really joining in fans' frustrations about it. I mean, just to touch on it, really, how 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 do you see this playing out, and and can we ever go back to a a VAR-less Premier League football? Um, I think that my instinct is that we have to really think about what we're saying when we say VAR. I think VAR has become this catch-all term for what's going on, but actually there's individual components that we need to identify and look at those. So let's start with the video assistant referee. Let's start with the technology in terms of being able to replay and watch incidents. I have no problem with any of that, no problem with Hawkeye, um, especially when Oya Nealon's involved. I have no problem with the technology. Then you have the second element, which is the rules. So the offside rule, for example, someone has chosen to what to make the offside rule like that. You know, I think Arsene Wenger has already um, tabled some some suggestions for changing the rules. But you have the rules are a separate entity all unto themselves, and some of the rules are particularly stupid, like the handball rule, which has already changed four times just this season alone, which is absolutely balmy and and compromises the integrity of the competition. And then you've got the third section, which is the individuals, the human beings. I've got a problem with the second two. I've got a problem with the, the rules, which are being written um, to be deliberately, I think, persnickety, if you will, um, and not allowing the, sec- the third section, the officials, to have any kind of common sense or any kind of leeway. So I have a problem with the last two. I don't have a problem with the technology. I think we can see in other leagues uh, for anyone listening that watches um, you know different football leagues around the world that do not have these kind of problems other people have been able to make a better fist of it than the Premier League have I think there's a problem with the referees in St George in St George's Park and the referees on the pitch I think there's a big problem with the PGMOL because there's no accountability for them and they seem to make it up as they go along uh, we had that earlier with the Manchester City goal um, where they just changed the rules magically when it uh, when Aston Villa lost a goal against Manchester City and, um, and yes, I think that VAR 
is broken in its current implementation, but I don't think you can go back. I just think you need to go through the teething pains. And I think we need to have accountability for the, for the officials and for us to have a common sense approach to implementing these rules. Yeah, I think Craig's right there to separate out the technology and the human beings. I mean, technology in football is not a bad thing. We've had it since, I don't know, LucasAid and then the the, the magic disappearing foam spray and, and Hawkeye technology works. The problem is the humans behind the technology don't work. And I feel like right now is a particularly bad batch of Premier League referees. Um, I might argue the finer points, as, as Craig does, but I'm, I'm just sick of VAR. I'm, I'll be completely honest. Mistakes are part of football. It's, it's part of what I love about football. I like arguing down the pub whether something was offside or handball. I like the fact that England won the World Cup on a dodgy goal-line decision. I, you know, this is part of the law of football. Mistakes are part of it. If it was an exact science, it would be robots kicking a ball around the field and you'd know the result of every game in advance. And I think the problem with VAR is it's, it tends to favour the big clubs as it, it reduces upsets. And I think it takes the fun and the emotion out of it. I was chatting to Andy before we, we started recording about what it's like to be in a stadium with it. Because I've not experienced that. But I imagine it's horrifying. You take away the pure, joyful moment of celebrating a goal. And even when that Firmino goal went in on, on the weekend, it's like, well, should I be gutted now? Should I wait? Is it going to be offside? Is it not? Oh, they're drawing the lines. Which body part are we going to be arguing about this time? It's We're reaching a point where it sounds cheesy and I sound like an angry man shouting at clouds, but it's football's not football anymore. And I kind of, I'd happily take a handful of mistakes every year to stop talking about VAR, to be honest with you. I suppose I kind of feel like that as well. I, th- I think if the if the technology was more or less instant, um, and there was a degree of, of of common sense or that idea of sort of the on field decision being important, um, as it is in other sports, I think that that might that that might help in some way. Um, I think the, the the thing that I struggle with, I think Craig's right to bring up the the the, the the comparison with other 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 countries that, that that use VAR and perhaps don't have the similar problems. I can't speak myself for that because I don't really follow football around the world, but um, I do follow other sports, and I just think that sometimes this comparison is made with particularly rugby union, which is completely erroneous because they're completely different games. Um, that it works in in rugby, and they've got a, a good way of. Of doing it and the, the the refs are mic'd up and all this kind of thing, that just doesn't translate across to football, in my opinion. It, it, it you know football, I think the way the game is and the the type of game it is just doesn't lend itself to to that stop start and let's pull it back for this and and that. And I think I think really, I if I was, I mean, I wouldn't throw it out completely. Um, but it does ruin your your experience, and particularly at the games. I mean, it's 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 absolutely turgid. Um, if I remember from from last season being at games, it, it's it it really is awful um, in the stands. And you do, you know, I I mean, when Villa score, I don't necessarily jump around my room hugging people, um, shouting, you know. But at the at the match, I do, <laughs> and. Uh, and 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 you do feel you do feel like a bit of a buffoon when um, when it's called back and it does ruin it it does ruin the the spectacle. Having said that, I can see the case for you know that I can see the case that that is secondary to actually getting the the right outcome if you if you if you possibly can. I just think that some of these right outcomes that they're talking about are so minuscule and so open to interpretation that that it, you can debate all day and all night as to whether it is actually the right call. And those are the kind of decisions that I think people are a bit fed up of, really. I guess you have the, the distinction between is it a sport or is it a business? I guess, you know, football was never invented on the idea that one day someone would be freeze-framing free a camera and working out how many pixels someone's shirt sleeve was ahead of the ball. I mean, it's that's never how the game was invented. And I, I think it comes down to the heart of what we love about football is that it's got the best stars in the world playing at their absolute peak. But with that comes a business. And I think that that's what's driving VAR for me rather than the fan experience. And, and we've seen during COVID how 
how much football suffers without the fans. And I just worry if, if VAR is going to take away that, that spontaneity from fans and that fan experience that adds so much to a game. But yeah, I am an old possible. man who doesn't like technology. So that's like, <laughs> I, I am not the opinion we should trust here. Well, I think I think the, the the thing is that that's that's part of the issue. A lot of fans, you know, don't necessarily want to be bogged down with all this, do they? We don't. That's not why we go to games. That's not why we we watch matches to be to be discussing these 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 points. And you know, we we the the memories we have of watching football, you know, growing up or, or very recently are are, are about. You know, goals, great goals, and celebrating goals. And once it goes in the net, and the flag's not up, and the referee hasn't blown, it's 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 a goal, and you can celebrate, and and that's um that's what people remember. But it will come down to how important that is to the to the powers that be higher up. I think. I think money is a big part of it. I think Dan has a very good point. I think that um, you know you only have to look at a game like the Championship playoff final, for example. Now, we lost a couple of years ago, uh, three years ago, four years, whatever it was, 2018 to um, Fulham, 1-0. And um, we could see just in that game, um, Ryan Frederick should have been sent off for a stamp, um, you know, and there were a couple of other contentious decisions. And that that one decision of that Ryan Frederick stamp, um, that could have cost Villa absolutely everything. I mean, the club nearly went to the wall. So if you're a stakeholder in a club whether that be a fan or an owner or a manager or even a player you know and your entire the entire future of your club hinges on one result now by the way it shouldn't have hinged on one result because we should have had competent management who who were able to plan for both scenarios but we didn't but in a situation like that be it a playoff final an FA Cup final or um, there could be a relegation decider at the end of this season between Newcastle and Fulham or West Brom are, are back in the mix here you know there could be one game there will be one game later on this season that swings it either way for which team gets um, relegated from the Premier League and in, in doing so loses over £100 million so when that when that when the stakes are that high there is almost an obligation to get it right, which is why I think the VER should stay. But again, the secondary two points, the rules and the people, those are the things that need to be addressed. And it has to be addressed fast because I think you're right, Andy. It is starting to spoil the beautiful game. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I'm sure it's um, it's something they'll be talking about more and more over the summer, um, whether... Uh, any decisions are, are pending about it, or whether they'll, I mean, they might decide to, to can it for a little while. You, you never know. And I think that would make a lot of people very happy. Um, but like you say, there are lots and lots of issues, and, and the people that run the game are, are, are interested in, in themselves and not necessarily not necessarily their paying customers, as, as they would they would call us. Um, but anyway, I mean, it worked for Villa this time, and, and we went in 1 0. Um, I thought the second half was 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 somewhat improved for Villa. Um, I think Liverpool obviously remained a threat, and and, and Mo Salah did equalise. And, and Craig, you um, you uh, t- talked about this earlier. Um, he was he was quickest to a rebound, and he he put the ball in the net. Um, but then I thought Villa did kind of respond well, and I thought the second half I thought we were we were possibly worthy of a, a draw. Um, Trezeguet came incredibly close with an excellent effort, which which came off the outside of the post. Um, that would have put us two one up. Um, but we, I mean, we'll talk about Trezeguet. Sadly, we've had the news that he's um, he's going to be out for the, the foreseeable future now, and he's come off worse from a, a tussle with Trent Alexander Arnold, um, and it's a, a cruciate injury. Um, and it, you know that that will be it for, certainly for the season, and probably for for most of next season as well. Um, this is a, a you know a real blow for him and and obviously for the club as well, um, you know. But what, obviously, you know, any words on this, guys? Trez, my poor Trez, I'm heartbroken <laughs> for him. I mean, for starters, I think it was a penalty, and I, you know, I don't think there was any malice on on Trent's part, but it felt like a penalty to me at the time. 
But beyond that, I mean, I've obviously spoken probably for far too long about how much I love Trez on this podcast, but I'm gutted for him, partly because he was coming into form, but also partly this could possibly spell the end of, or the beginning of the end of his Villa career. Not to be too dramatic, but if we progress how we how we hope to progress, then we're going to be upgrading in all positions. And given that, you know, if he's out of a cruise ship for what, six, seven, eight, nine months, then by the time he comes back, we've already moved on. As we're seeing with Wesley right now, the team moves on and that player gets left behind. So if Villa are on the trajectory that we all hope they are, and, you know, maybe they've listened to Craig and we get Draxler in next year, maybe it's another player. I mean, Treads could find it really hard to get back in. And, and, you know, maybe that's easier for fans to let go of a player who probably had reached his level. But for the guy himself, I'm kind of gutted. I also think it's kind of worrying for the rest of the season. We look particularly light in wide areas as it is. And to lose a body, a warm body, but also a warm body who's showing something resembling form, I think could mean that the rest of the season could be tough watching without Jack. Yeah, I'm devastated for Trezor Gay. Um, you know, obviously, I've, I've, um, uh, he's he's not necessarily the um, the player to take us to the next level. I think we discussed that, but that doesn't matter here. Uh, Trezor Gay now is about to lose a year of his career, um, and I think it's not dramatic at all what Dan said. This is probably this could be the last time we see him. I mean, for example, Tom Heaton, who we're going to discuss later on. That injury at Burnley, that is very possibly the end of his Villa career. Wesley, uh, since Ben Mee sliced his knee in half, has not been seen since. And we are well over a year now. I think we're approaching 16 months at this point, 17 months. Um, will we even see Wesley before the end of the season? We don't know. Will we see Wesley again? We don't know. So it's not dramatic to say, you know, these, these injuries are not, a, not an exact science. And um, for Trezeguet... Um, you know, he has a long and painful road back now, and uh, I only wish him all the best. I think, you know, on a smaller note, um, it was a penalty, I think. Um, Alexander-Arnold made no attempt to play the ball. He's rugby tackling um, Trezeguet, who's got beyond him. Um, but that's really small, you know, small fries in, in, in comparison to the man's career. So I think the only thing we can do is wish him a speedy recovery. I think that um, that does certainly mean Trezeguet won't be sold this summer. Um, so that that's one thing, which probably means that um, maybe that means the end for Al Ghazi. Maybe, maybe you know, we, we discussed a lot in this podcast. Maybe one of them is going to be sold this summer. Some of us thought it was going to be Trez. Some of us thought it was going to be Al Ghazi. Well, obviously, Al Ghazi, you imagine now, maybe he's the full guy or maybe we need to keep him around. Um, this injury has, um, first of all, from a personal level, to devastate for Trez again. But this also has big ramifications for Aston Villa, not just the rest of this season because we do need him, because we're, we're down to the bare bones, to quote Harry Redknapp. But also for the summer transfer window and next season, um, this, this could be a big turning point for Villa, because now we potentially need to spend another 20, 30 million to replace a player that maybe we had not planned on replacing. And where does that impact us? Does that mean we can't buy a striker now? Does that mean we can't buy a new centre-back now? Or, you know, where does this land? This could be a monumental moment for Aston Villa. Yeah, definitely. I think I think I'd, I'd echo I'd echo the sentiments about Trezeguet, and we we wish him all the best um, with his recovery. You know, it's an awful thing for a, a player to 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 get injured like that. Such an innocuous incident, although you know, possibly a, a penalty, but but certainly not not one where you'd see it as a as a, like a, a bone crunching um, career ending tackle. But he's obviously come off worse, and you know, we wish him all. All the very best for his recovery, and yeah, absolutely. You know, it has ramifications short term and and medium term, doesn't it, for Villa in terms of, you know, how first of all how they replace him in the squad this this season for the rest of this season, um, and the, and also kind of going forward in the summer transfer window. Um, but I mean, sadly, Villa wouldn't would fail to 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 hold on to the point that. that Maybe they deserved as Trent Alexander Arnold, who, you know, seemed determined to uh, to make an impact in this game, struck an absolute an absolute beauty in injury time to win the match. Um, I don't think there's too much denying that Liverpool perhaps worthy of that win, um, but that's not to say that on the other hand Villa wouldn't have deserved a point. I thought it was a a really credi- creditable away performance, certainly in the second half more so. Um, you know. I think 
there seemed to be a, an, an increased level of frustration within the Villa fan base after this game. Um, although in, in isolation, perhaps the result doesn't look too bad, really. It looks like a, a you know, you'd kind of expect to lose to Liverpool. I think we all kind of expected that last week. Um, you know, and particularly without still without our star man, Jack Grealish. So, you know, what's your summing up of this one, guys? I think that I expected, I predicted that Villa would lose. I think that they, they would lose heavily um, if they didn't play a certain way. I think they, they, Dean Smith did adapt his formation. For me, it was a 4-1-4-1 or a 4-5-1 um, without the ball. Um, but I think lots of people were calling for Keenan Davis. Lots of people wanted to see Keenan Davis on the pitch. And I think that is an area of concern. Now, um, and that's okay. I don't have any problem questioning Dean Smith. I've questioned him before and I'll question him again because that's what we do when you're fans. You question decisions, you question formations and you debate it down the pub or you debate it on podcasts or you debate it, you know, in your group chats. You know, everyone, every fan up and down the country does the same thing. Um, where I draw the line, though, is with the fans, again, with the Smith Out Brigade. I mean, we did address this at length probably two or three weeks ago, but I'll just say again, I don't know what the Smith Out fans are expecting. I did a whole rundown of all the teams a few weeks ago. I recommend you go listen to that in the archives. I won't do it again. But the gist of the, uh, the, the, of the point that I made a few weeks ago is that every single one of these Aston Villa players is playing higher than in, in terms of league position, in terms of uh, pressure than any other moment in their careers, pretty much all of them from non-league or lower leagues or Belgian leagues, etc. Dean Smith is getting the maximum, more or less, out of these players. Now, do I think that Keenan Davis should have played? Yes, I said that already last week. Do I think Dean and Keenan Davis should have come on? Yes. Do I think we should see Rox Barkley? No. And I've already said that. And um, again, I think, speaking of conceding a late goal, big similarities with the Newcastle goal. Ross Barkley in charge of a break to kill the game, 2-0 at Newcastle or... Uh, or, or to take it to 2-1 here, fluffs his lines and um, the other team got the other end of score. That's happened twice now. Now, and I've already said plenty of times, I don't think Ross Barkley should be on the pitch for Aston Villa. And I can say all those things and still not say Smith out. This man has taken us from the depths of, uh, the depths of hell, ladies and gentlemen, the depths of hell, 13th in the championship and going nowhere fast. And he has delivered us on a silver platter into the Premier League. And he has kept us in the Premier League. And now we are looking at a top 10 finish in the Premier League. And all of this in under three years. So if you want to fire Dean Smith, I think that you might be a little bit ridiculous. If Dean Smith is going to get sacked, he'll get sacked when he starts to fail. He is not failing 10th in the Premier League for Aston Villa, given the context of where we've come from, is not failing. NS, uh, 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 NSWE will fire him if he starts failing. You don't need to worry about it. <laughs> they, they, will, they will pull the trigger. But you don't fire a manager who, has taken, who is the best manager we've had since Martin O'Neill, who has taken us on a fantastic upward trajectory. It's just as simple as that. Yeah, it's utterly ridiculous. I've kind of... I just don't know what fans want. I mean, last season, I, I kind of checked it out. We lost 2-0 and 2-1 to Liverpool. And I seem to remember we were in both games, but we were never going to take anything away from either of them. This year, we blew them away 7-2, and we were unlucky not to take a point off them, off the champions, and we're in 10th place. And last year, we survived on the last day of the season. I mean, it's it's absolute madness. We, we are 10th because we're a 10th place like team. Realistically, without Jack, that's where we are. I think maybe the bigger problem here is is kind of Smith almost made a rod for his own back at the start of the season. We had such a blistering start to the campaign that everyone gets heady and starts to imagine Champions League, Europa League, or whatever the Europa Vauxhall Conference 2 is that we might have got into. But the thing is, we, we were always going to finish around middle of the pack at best, and that's what I think all of us were aiming for at the start of the season. I know I just didn't want to be in a relegation scrap. I wanted to, to end the season with relative comfort, and that's where we're going. And I mean, it's progress. It's not sexy Champions League, riches, top-name player progress, but it's sustainable progress. 
And that's what I think is so great about it. And, you know, everything about the club right now for me is on point. I love Dino. I love the way he's in interviews. I love the stuff they're doing with charities and local communities kind of away from the pitch. I love what the owners are doing with the stadium. And I love what the team is doing. We're going through a tough period at the moment because we don't have our best player and arguably one of the league's best players. But to still be 10th, and really, I'm not even looking below me anymore. I, I kind of had a sneaky look at the table yesterday just to think, should I be worried? Could we possibly fall into it? And I mean, famous last words here, but we're not going to. We get to, even if the season peters out now, it's comfortable. And that's all I wanted at the start of the season. To claim Smith out it blows my mind. I, I think, as I said when we spoke about this before, we could go down on no points with Smith and I'd still want him in charge. Not because I'm blinkered and think he's the best manager in the league, but because he's got he's got the cred in the bank now. He's done so much for us, as, as Greg said. But, yeah, again, to be an old man shouting at, town, at clouds, we're, uh, we're an instant gratification society and people want us to be Champions League right now. But, but we're not playing FIFA here. This is real life and, and it's going to take us a couple of years to get there. Yeah, I, I totally agree with what everything you both said and I'd, I'd add to it that that actually by removing Smith, um, you potentially, you know, almost rip, rip the heart out of the, the whole the whole infrastructure because everything is kind of built around Dean Smith. You look at, just for example, the goalkeeping department. Now, if Smith leaves, then Neil Cutler leaves. There's no 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 two ways about it. And then we lose that that wonderful goalkeeping department that is, is you know, that made a, a half-decent goalkeeper out of Oyen Nyland, you know. It, We've 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 got <laughs> we've we've got. I know that's it's unbelievable, but it, I think he somehow he did it. Um, you know, so there's lots of lots of other things there. The whole the whole system feels like it's built around Dean Smith and his vision. The owners would have had a vision. Perslow would have had a vision, and Dean Smith is the man that they're channeling that through because that that meets his his vision as well. Now I think what we're seeing at the moment is part of the evolution towards what Dean Smith wants to do with the team. We saw before Christmas we saw, you know, real kind of um snapshot, I think, of, of what he wants to do. Um and, and they were playing some really good attacking football. You know, some of it sort of very counter attack, which I think you have to be able to do in this league, but but also a possession based game and you know and certainly a high pressing game which which is what Dean Smith wants to do. Now there are certain points in a season where you can't carry on doing that, you know. And this season we had a we had, you know, two or three weeks out with a with a COVID outbreak, first team players with COVID. We've we've been missing our best player for for a number of weeks now, as well as other injuries as well, which have knocked us off off kilter. Then you have to factor in form, you have to factor in you know the type of teams you play in. You know, it's not as simple as just playing the same attacking free flowing football all season we're not at that level yet we can't do it we have to be able to do the rough stuff and, and that's what Dean Smith and currently is, is working on how do you how do you grind out a game go on sorry and, and talking about I'm sorry sorry Andy just talking about the Covid outbreak just looking at did you see Mane the other day he was like a he's like a different he was like a Mane impersonator I couldn't believe it you know uh, he came on he looked you look miles off it, and I know that he suffered with COVID. So there is, and obviously this isn't a COVID part podcast, and I'm not. I will. I will state here, I'm not a medical You're professional, not. but we we know I'm not. But we we don't know the full extent of the COVID situation. We don't know long COVID. We don't know what it does, to, particularly to the heart, to the lungs. We don't know what it does neurologically. Um, so we can see just from using Mane as an example that COVID seems to have wrought havoc with certain players who have just not been quite the same since they've had it. And as we don't even know who in the Villa squad, I think other than Matt Target came out and said he had it, you know, we don't know who has it and how it's affected them or how it will play out long term. So that is a big caveat as well. We have to remember, you know, 10 of our first team players yeah, contracted this disease. So there are, you know, there are, there are, there are plenty of reasons, you know, for, for, this, for the drop-off in form. But I think also... You know, I, I mean, I, I think back to, to when Jurgen Klopp took over at Liverpool and he, he totally transformed their style of play into this into this high-pressing team and they were they were absolutely 100 miles an hour for, for a, you know, 
initially, perhaps for a season, but it couldn't carry on. It dropped off again. You know, they had to perhaps modify the other parts of their game once they got used to the, you know, the the, the energy and the work work rate and how to press high. Um, initially, he then dropped it off, and they 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 learned they learned the other side of the game, and then it's all about just controlling the game, being in control of the game throughout the ninety minutes, whether you're defending. Um, either in possession or out of possession, or whether you're pushing high, or whether you're whatever situation in the game you're in, you're in control of the game. You have to have all those aspects, and the only way to get those aspects is to do it for long periods of time within games. And for me, that's that's the evolution that I can see happening with Dean Smith. It's not just about um, obviously you have to win games, you have to do what you can to to win games at certain times, but there's also a for me, I think there is a strategy there about developing different different ways of playing. Um, so you can adjust within games or for different games as we as we go along. Maybe I'm overthinking it, but I I think that's what I can see happening. I no, I saw it happening, uh, and I think that we that there were some stats. I think it's uh, there's a, there's a wonderful account on Twitter that I follow who I've forgotten the name of. Uh, I mean, I'll find that and tell you what it is. Um, but they had the stats that we were playing lots of long balls on um, Sunday, similar to how we did against Leeds. To uh, and I think we played that to get to you know bypass the press, uh, which is probably another reason why Keenan Davis should have been playing because he's the player who we need to deal with long balls. But Again, we can say that and we can have a debate about it, you know, we can disagree, but we don't have to throw our dollies out the pram and say, well, Dean Smith isn't doing the things I want him to do, so therefore he's a failure, let's sack him. What, what, yeah. what, what is that? I think Andy makes a good point as well with Klopp. I mean, it took Klopp, what, three years to, to get a title winning team together at a Liverpool side that was probably further along than Villa were. And also Klopp in his pre-match interview singled Dean Smith out for praise. And, and it didn't feel like the kind of pat on the head you sometimes get from the top managers. And then, I don't know, I'll be honest, Klopp probably knows more about football management than Joe Bloggs on Twitter. And I kind of trust his opinion that Dean Smith's doing a better job than, than those guys. It's... It's a work in progress, and even if it wasn't a work in progress, my heart overhead will go Smith every time. It's it's nice to have a it's nice to have a manager that I like. It's nice to have a manager that I enjoy watching his press conferences, enjoys interviews, enjoys interactions with people, and for me, that's worth I don't know how many points a season. But it's very nice to like our manager again and to not see people throwing cabbages at him. Yeah, and I think I think as well. Well, that is true. Yeah, that is true. Um, I think, as well, that something has to be said for the symbolism of of Dean Smith being in charge, and it feels like that's something that might be important to the owners and Perslow. Um, the, the the fact that he is he is he is local and he is um, he has Villa in his blood, same as the captain. Um, I've just pulled up. Know, a, 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 he is he is he is super important, and and also how do the players speak about him? Listen to Ollie Watkins talk about Dean Smith. Listen to Konza talk about Dean Smith. Listen to listen to Grealish talk about Dean Smith. Uh, Dean Smith and Grealish are like father and son. You think you sacked Dean Smith? Grealish is going to take that line down. You think he's going to be pleased about that? Oh, exactly. I mean, yeah, have, exactly. We have to have, try and think a couple of steps ahead. You know, if if Villa sack Smith, I could very well see Grealish be like, well, if you've sacked the guy that I have this relationship with, who's you know, I don't want to be here anymore. Yeah, I think Dean, I think that Jack could Green be a concern. Staying, I think yeah. is, is is tied to Dean Smith a little bit. Yeah, it it could well it could well be, and I think I think that's that's certainly something that um, that will uh, may well come up if and when that 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 happens. But I mean, you know, we're talking about. I mean, I want Dean Smith to be manager of Villa. You know, for the next four, five, six years, I, I just think he can build something at Villa, and then you know, once he's Done that, you can you can maybe think of a succession succession plan with with whoever whoever is either there at the time or 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 coming in to replace him. Maybe even with Dean Smith still still at the club. So you know that's obviously in an ideal world, and things can go wrong in football very quickly. Um, but hopefully, um, Dino is uh, is is in the Villa dugout for a long time. Uh, I certainly want to see him next time I go there. So um, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not. I won't be happy if he's if he's gone in the summer for for sure. Um, 
I mean, as as we've already discussed, we'll, we'll move on from from Dean Smith. We but we've we've discussed Trezeguet and Al Ghazi, and and we've discussed them at length really over the last few weeks. Um, but I think it might be worth sort of focusing in on on the other, our other wide man, Bertrand Triore. Um, he's coming for some heavy criticism during the match from from co commentator Jamie Carragher. He he did have a a, a very um, unmemorable performance at the weekend um but he has given us some some good moments this season as well and and has looked the, the part at times it has to be said um you know where, where do you guys stand on on Traore and, and where he might fit in going forward I think we're getting exactly what I expected out of Traore I, I felt he was a bit of a maverick kind of player who could turn a game in an instant a bit of a wild card you could throw on and, and turn a result the problem is that when he's run out of ideas, when he's lost form, when he's gone a little bit cold, we don't have anyone to bring on and, and take his place. And I think that's why he's suffering a bit this year. I think any any other season when we've got strength in depth, then he'd have come out of the firing line for a few weeks. But I think he's had to stay in there. He's not the kind of player we're going to build a system around. He's not the kind of player that's our future. But I think he's an impact sub, and I think he's a useful player when he's in a purple patch to, to, to put in. But... He needs a break, like everyone in the team. And I think like all of us in this kind of COVID world, we need a break. I think he needs to be on a beach somewhere drinking coconut-flavoured cocktails and come back kind of renewed next season. But yeah, I, unless the coaching team works wonders on him, which, to be fair, they've done with other players, I don't see him being a piece that we build the team around. But he's exactly what he says on the tin. He's, he's a wild card who can turn games and give us five or so games at a time of form. Yeah, I, I completely agree, Dan. I think that um, what you get from Traore is you get uh, you get what what we saw last week with the uh, assist for Ollie Watkins. You know, he can get the ball in one movement. He can beat two men, put a ball on a plate. He can get the ball on the uh, you know on the edge of the area, beat three or four men like he did against Sheffield United, and then you know just just scuff the easiest part, which is the shot. Um, I think Dan, you said last week Traore is with us. Um, at £17 million because he's a £17 million player who plays for a mid-table Premier League side. He is not Eden Hazard. He is not uh, Mo Salah. So I think we have to talk, we have to stop, and I will include myself in this, we have to stop as a fan base in just talking in absolutes. A player is either brilliant or they're terrible. It's much more nuanced than that. And Traore absolutely has... He's an improvement, I think. I think he's better than um, Anwar, and I think he's better than Trezeguet. So in terms of our progression, he is the next level of winger that we brought in last season to move us forward, and he has. What's he got? Has he got five or six goals? Three, four assists? That is more than a lot of wingers in the Premier League. I tell you, it's certainly more than someone like Alex Awobi. It's certainly more who cost, who cost more money. It's certainly more than someone like Pepe at Arsenal, who cost £75 million. So... Traore's fine. He needs a break. And also, I think we saw, um, to go back to your point as well, Dan, we saw Traore's best form when he had Trezeguet breathing down his neck, when he had a bit of competition. He's got no competition. And even less competition now, Trezeguet's injured as well. Um, so I think Traore is absolutely fine. I think he's going to be a good member of the squad moving forward. He has a bit of magic in him. But again, as I've said before, I don't think the system necessarily suits him either. I think he's probably more of a second striker or needs a bit more of a free roll. Um, but again, it's his first season, new club, new country. Yes, he played for Chelsea. He had a cup of coffee at Chelsea a few years ago when he was a kid, but the Premier League's moved on since then. And again, he's another one. Get him on holiday. Get him that coconut cocktail that sounds lovely. Get a pre-season into him and let's um, bring him back next year where he's going to have he's going to have competition for places. And if he plays like he has been playing, guess what, Trore? You're on the bench, mate, because we have players that can come in. And that will how, that's how it will be. But this, this idea that, you, that, that, that all of our players are either useless or they're gods, we've got to get away from that because it's a little bit silly. Yeah, absolutely. To- totally agree with, with, with all that. Um, off the field, there have been various reports regarding new contracts for certain players, including obviously Matty Cash, Matt Target. Um, there's... One particularly particularly interesting discussion to be had, though, around Villa's number two choice goalkeeper, Tom Heaton, um, as to whether 
he may opt to bide his time at Villa um, as the number two or move elsewhere for first team football. Um, you know, plenty of opinions on this, but but where do you guys sort of stand on, on this? How do you see this one playing out over the summer? Well, we've talked about already, you know, how one moment can change your career. And now this is Tom Heaton. This is this is it. This is the real life actuation of what it could happen to Trezeguet. Um, Tom Heaton has now potentially played his last game for Aston Villa, um, which is crazy. Now, obviously, we would have loved to have, I think, Tom Heaton around as a second choice goalkeeper. But I think Tom Heaton, probably at this age of his career, at this stage of his career and the age that he is at, he's going to want to play first team football and also he's going to want to be, you know, in the England setup. You know, there's a World Cup coming up at the end of next season as well, don't forget. Um, so Tom Heaton has it all to play for. What I can't believe and what I don't understand, and maybe you guys can shed some light on this, is how on earth we just gave Tom Heaton a two-year deal for an £8 million transfer. That to me seems crazy. Um, I don't understand that. I think that um, that, that, that the new owners and Perslow haven't made too many missteps, Kalinic maybe being one, um, but this is certainly seems like a, a, a sh- shooting yourself in the foot to only have this, this guy tied down to a two-year deal. I think it was more a case of Heaton's age, and it was a deal that was very much of its moment. I think we were shopping around for a goalkeeper with Premier League experience. We were struggling to find a goalkeeper with Premier League experience. And and Heaton came in on a, a high price tag, both in terms of wages and transfer for a guy his age. And I think, as we said, like the injury means his moment, sadly, has passed in a Villa shirt. And Craig's right. Does he have the stomach to play second fiddle does he want first team football can he even play first team football at the top level anymore I mean he's he's getting on a bit as far as players go I mean I hate saying that when he's younger than me but he's definitely reaching the the autumn of his career and it's he's it's whether he thinks in himself and I'm sure he does that he can that he can cement a number one spot somewhere but I'd love to have him around as the second choice keeper I think he brings a lot to the club off the field we're, we don't have that many leaders at the club and I think he's the kind of guy that I imagine would be great around the clubhouse and, and great off the pitch and if he stuck around I'd be delighted if he left I'd wish him all the best it could have been so different for him at Villa if it weren't for that injury and slide indoors moment for him and for Villa and you know the future is Martinez for me and, and whoever second fiddle is going to have a tough job to get minutes Yeah I think I'd think i I'd, I'd agree with that I, I, if, if you Sort of advising Tom Heaton, you probably say, you know, the, the these these moments that you have now for the rest of your career are precious, and he certainly, for me, has the ability, um, based on what we saw before of of, of of playing in the in the Premier League, or certainly certainly at the top half of the Championship, easily. Um, so I'd I'd like to see him get first team football, like we say. Emmy Martinez is is at the club at the moment. You know, I I sometimes think with with players you can't always rely on that, and sometimes when a player such as Martinez, you know, proves exactly how good he is, um, there will be a lot of big clubs sniffing around him, and he's only been with us for a year. He has no particular, um, you know, ties to the club or any any reason. Um, not to not to leave if if a massive club come in and and, and offer him the world so um, you know we'll we'll just have to see on that one hopefully not there's no rumours of that you know I'm just speculating really but um, in that scenario someone like Tom Heaton might be might be good good to keep hold of but um, I think without without him it's just it's just whether you know you could continue with Heaton or whether you'd say that Jed Steer is is a suitable reserve goalkeeper and look I've I've made my feelings on Jed Steer quite clear he's my favorite Aston Villa goalkeeper of all time just for that that penalty shootout you know so um but whether he's actually up to the standard if you know Martinez broke down in the second game of next season um you know can you can you stick with Jed Steer until Christmas you know you, you just don't know um Probably, probably not really. You'd want you'd want someone of more of Heaton's standard and pedigree. So, if they don't keep hold of Heaton, then they've got to sign another goalkeeper. Yet another goalkeeper. <laughs> I, I think we we will have to sign another goalkeeper. Um, 
not necessarily because well, well Jed Steer um, was a wonderful championship goalkeeper for us. Um, I think we can safely say he's not as good as Emi Martinez. And what also we have to say about Jed Steer is he also has a ter terrible injury record. He, he gets injured frequently. So it's not like, you know, we can, we've seen how quickly your, your life can change as a footballer. Trezor Gay on Saturday, Wesley and Tom Heaton last year. Um, so if Martinez were to, God forbid, have a freak injury, you can't, I don't think, rely on Jed Steer as your number one. Firstly, because he's never done it before at that level. And secondly, because he also himself has a terrible injury record. So for that reason alone, I would probably encourage Perslow to back up a big lorry full of cash <laughs> up to Tom Heaton's front door and say, just, just stay with us for a couple more years, Tom. Uh, we need you around. Otherwise, yeah, I think we will have to dip into the transfer market, um, which, um, as we've seen with, with Aston Villa goalkeepers, can be hit and miss. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I almost don't want us to buy another goalkeeper because the, the club's record hasn't been great over recent years. And it's, I think the number two goalkeeper position, it's an interesting one to give airtime to because it's such an unimportant position until it becomes the most important position. And it's really hard to, to sign the right player who's willing to sit on a bench and, and wait for his chance. And I mean, you see it at Liverpool with Adrian coming in for, for Alisson. It's, the drop-off in quality is huge. And I think... They're a really difficult breed to get right, a backup keeper. And I think Heaton could be perfect for that if he's willing to take on that role for us. And and I hope he sees sees for himself a, a decent payday and a chance to be part of something bigger. Um, but if not, I'm sure we'll find another comedy Croatian goalkeeper or Norwegian that no one's ever heard of that will give us all kittens when he comes on. Well, that's it. Or, yeah. Or, or maybe there's I, someone in the in the in the in the ranks that that, that can step up. We we don't. We don't know. They're they're probably a little bit young, really, at the minute. But um, yeah, sorry, sorry, Craig, you were going to make a point there. No, I was just I was just going to say about um, about the, the 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 calamity last year. You know, when Heaton got injured, Steer was also injured, so he didn't get a chance to play then. And then we had Nyland doing Nyland things. Then Rayner, who I think was even less reliable than Nyland in the end, um, and. Um, it was it was that 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 alone nearly relegated us because I think had Tom Heaton have, have stayed fit we wouldn't have been in nearly as much trouble. So it is a really important position and, and should again God forbid touch wood something happened to Martinez we definitely need to have someone of a certain stature um, to come in. Um, I think Martinez. I think there are fears around Martinez because he is so good. A big, big club could come in for Martinez, and they could come in this summer. And uh, Martinez um, is going to want to see Villa moving forward. This is another point: if Villa don't progress, the, the pressure is on. The pressure isn't on this season, Dean Smith out people, but the pressure will be on next season. If Villa aren't competing for Europe, our star players will be will start to get itchy, uh, none more so the Martinez and Jack Greeders, etc. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's going to be a big year next year for the for the projects, I think, overall. Um, and, and and speaking of the project, um, you know, last week Villa released their end-of-year financial report. Um, there are people far more qualified than me to analyse this. Um, you know, I'm, it's not something I take a great deal of, of interest in, mainly because... Um, math certainly isn't my my subject, um, but just looking through, um, there was a, a particular um, bit of interest um, about the acknowledgement um, that redevelopment of Villa Park might be on the agenda now um, at some point. Um, this has kind of always previously been brushed under the carpet since the, the these owners took over. I know, obviously. Tony Jaw was very keen on the idea of building all sorts around Aston um, and around Villa Park, but um, the, these owners have been very much much calmer and, and kept their cards close to their chest about this. And this seems like the first step towards maybe sort of planning to to improve the stadium and 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 see the capacity increase. I mean, how how do you guys feel about this? And is there anything you'd like to see, or indeed not see? Um, in these plans, 
I think the, the first point for me is that I've got a lot of trust in these owners. I think there's been a few great articles out this week. I saw one in the Birmingham Mail kind of comparing uh, Wes Eden's ownership of the Milwaukee Bucks to, to what he's done at Villa. And similar there, kind of invested money in the team, invested money in the, the stadium and, and did it sustainably. Um, but I have to hold my hands up and say, I don't know what I want them to do with Villa Park because it's been so damn long since I've been to Villa Park. Because I've been out of the country, I think it's been about nine years since I've been to Villa Park. So probably, Andy, I should throw it back to you. You'll know better than me. I can barely remember what Villa Park's like these days. So maybe maybe you should tell us what you want to see. Well, well, we'll let Craig have a go as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Um, what I want to see is less related actually to Villa Park itself, but actually to the development of the Aston area, the wider area. Um, so for, for anyone who isn't familiar, that, that area of Birmingham is... Um, uh, underserved, you might call it. There's this high, um, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an area with high levels of socio-economic difficulty. So I think if the owners are interested in redeveloping the area, maybe creating leisure facilities for local kids to come and use, which I think they are doing, you know, the, the training centre and things like that. I think that is the most important thing to me um, to redevelop those kind of inner-city cent- urban centres for for the young people of Birmingham. Um, to come and use and enjoy and get fit and stay healthy and, and have positive activities to do. So the stuff outside of Villa Park is um, is what's most important to me. I've seen lots of uh, hand-wringing already about people being very precious about what kind of uh, development happens with the actual stadium. Um, but again, that's not my particular interest. Um, I don't think the particular the architecture as it stands with the North Stand and the Doug Ellis is anything particularly special. The, uh, the Trinity's lovely, the whole tent's lovely, so, but with the Doug Ellis and the North Stand, I think they're both, uh, you could tear them down and start again as far as I'm concerned, do what you want, um, but leave the Trinity alone, leave the whole end alone. Um, Andy, what do you think? Yeah, I think, that, I think that's right. I mean, you know, just on a minor point, I think, I think you, you make a good point about the area, which is, a, which is, is the main um, issue for me, and I also think sort of transport links, um, you know, it, to and from Villa Park would could be better um <clears throat> but i have to say i think i think you, you're right i think there's two stands there which are absolute absolute rubbish um and certainly when you look at other other big clubs around the premier league and you see i mean we can all compare our grounds to the tottenham Hotspur stadium but that's that's head and shoulders above everywhere i think at the moment um but you, you know there are there are certainly things around Villa Park that that need to need to be improved and and just need to look better from an aesthetic point of view. Um, <clears throat> whatever happens, I'd I'd quite like to see the the corners stay open though. That's kind of my my thing. I like the fact that there's four different stands at Villa Park and there's there isn't like a bowl. I kind of like that. I think I think that's that's very much um, part of the the character of the place and. You know, just just, but I mean, in terms of you know the capacity of the stadium, I always I always think the problem with increasing the capacity of Villa Park is you can sell it out um, when things are going well. When things aren't so good, though, those attendances do drop significantly. You know, and you end up with an even bigger stadium that looks even more empty than it is now. That's just a fact. That's 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 been the, the case all the way along the, the the 30 or so years that I've been following the club if you're in the bottom half of the table it's um you know it, it is sort of down to sort of high 20s if that you know in terms of high 20,000s if that you know so I, I think actually it's about um it's about modernizing and, and and bringing it up to to some sort of reasonable spec not so much about increasing the capacity too much yeah, I, I, I kind of that that idea of character. We all kind of hold on to character, but it would be nice to retain some of that character. There's nothing nothing like seeing a ground that you can instantly recognise, and not one of the the soulless corporate balls surrounding a, a pitch. And I mean, last time I went to Villa Park, the last thing I remember was the urinals, and it was just a, a massive trough on a slight slant, and I stood at the wrong end of it. So if they fix that situation, then I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's very important. Your, your your idols are very important. Um, 
I mean, who knows what they're going to look like <laughs> when we go back uh, this time. They'll have plastic sheeting in between each uh, each segment, I would have thought. Um, Whatever they look like, we all remember what they smell like. <laughs> you get this, because um, believe it or not, you know, football fans don't always follow the rules and uh, there's always smoking <laughs> and, and, and the new the new thing is vaping now. So so sometimes you walk in and it's a, it's a, a you know, that, that, that tobacco smell, that, that cigarette smell. And sometimes you walk in and it's strawberries. Um, which is far more pleasant, you know. But you know, I don't know who's who's vaping strawberry scented stuff in the in the in the Villa Park toilets, but um, it does make the those the... avocado eating millennials. That's who's doing that. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. I, I think I might be one of those, although I don't vape strawberries. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it does make it a, a more pleasant experience when you're waiting to go there. But um, there we are. <laughs> Enough about the toilets, I think. Um, let's get on to the <laughs> on to the next game, um, which is Man City at home, which is um, next Wednesday evening. Um, I mean, they'll be they'll be still fuming from their last minute defeat to ten man Leeds on Saturday. I know, I know, I was fuming when Leeds won that game, but um, it, it it's uh, you know they'll they'll have the although we have the the ten day or so turnaround. They will have the the FA Cup finals, uh, semi final. Sorry, this weekend, um, in between times. So, I mean, you know, what are you guys saying for this one? Any optimism at all for next Wednesday evening, Craig? No, <laughs> <laughs> would be the short answer. Um, I think Man City are so incredibly strong that even when they rotate, they can afford to drop five or six players and they still just have incredible, incredible depth. I think obviously Manchester City, the hope is that they are, um, you know, as the league is in the bag, they are at the tickly end of the FA Cup and they've got the League Cup final and they've got a really congested fixture list. Maybe we might see some of the kids and that will give us a a better opportunity, but I don't think we will. I think that uh, they're going to go strong and I think particularly having just lost the Leeds, um, that will re- certainly refocus. Guardiola is not the type of manager to um, give his players even a second to rest on their laurels. So I think they're going to go for it. And I think, you know, this is a message for the Smith out brigade, just to give you a bit of a heads up. Manchester City have a better team than we do, <laughs> just in case you're feeling like we should be going there and rolling them over. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, a defeat. But I, what I would like to see on the positive note is I think this is a wonderful opportunity to blood a couple of youngsters. Um, but they have to be the right youngsters. They have to be youngsters who are going to be inspired rather than crushed because they're going to play with players so far better than anything they've seen before other than if they played with Super Jack. That for some players, if you have the wrong mentality, it can be like, oh, my God, I'm nowhere near this. I'm never going to be good enough. But if you have a player with the right mentality, they're going to see that and think, ah, I see how hard I need to work to get to that level. And it's going to really push them on. Um, so I would like to see a young player, um, you know, but only the young player with the right mentality that can that can cope with it. Just start them. Why not? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I think there'd be optimism. The 10, 10 day break kind of helps. It maybe gives us a chance to get Grealish on the pitch. But I think the Leeds result is what's kind of skewered my optimism. I think there was always, and you see this with teams that are on great seasons, fighting in four competitions, they can suddenly fold and lose a couple of games in quick succession. But I think the Leeds result, as as Craig said, will have shocked Guardiola interaction and, and the players won't get quite such an easy ride of things. And I think we'll probably see a bit of a reaction against Villa. So it's a shame that Leeds went there and, and did a job on them, especially with 10 men. Um, I'm not Weirdly, and this is coming from no place whatsoever, I'm not as pessimistic as I was going into the Liverpool game, but likewise, much as I was completely wrong about the Liverpool game, that probably means I'll be completely wrong about this one and, and we'll get nothing out of it. But I I think I'm hoping for a, for a closely fought draw or a defeat, last gas dis- defeat like against Liverpool, but my head is telling me it's it's not going to be an easy evening. Yeah, it's, a, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? And just just listening to Craig there as well talk about you know blood in the youngsters. I mean, this was perhaps something we could have discussed um, when we were talking about Trezeguet. Um, you know, in that it probably does open up his injury does open up a, a position in that in that match day squad now for for a, a, 
Phil and Jean Bidais or a, a, a Louis Barry to come in and and um, <clears throat> and have a chance between now and the end of the season, and or certainly until until Jack Grealish is back. So, you know, it's it's an opportunity, and I think I think there certainly will be one. One of them will be involved, and and yeah, I agree. It's got to be the the right one. You know, so like you say, not someone that's that's going to worry too much. I think for me, I said last week. For me, I'd be I'd be really promoting Louis Barry's interest now to between now and the end of the season. Whether he's going to be in the first team squad next season, maybe or or going out on loan, I think it it, it won't do him any harm whatsoever. So that would be that would be my my choice. But there's probably one or two sort of knocking on the door for that opportunity and that place in that in the squad, and it would it would just add a little bit of excitement as well, you know. Um, it's always nice to see a young player coming in and 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 um, and having a go, and it kind of takes the pressure off everything a little bit. You know, you you give you give them a little bit of a little bit longer, don't you? You don't you don't get on their backs quite as quick, and and it just it just makes everything a bit a bit nicer, particularly at the end of the season when we're safe and and have achieved everything we set out to this season. Yeah, I think so. So I think it'll take the pressure off as well. I think. I think lots of the people, as you say, as you rightly say, lots of the people who are getting a bit aggy will be less aggy and more sympathetic if it's the young players, you know, on on the pitch. Yeah, def- definitely, and I, th- I think it's that's certainly a way to go between now and the end of the season. <clears throat> so quickly, then I know it's a long way off. We're recording this on on Tuesday evening, the week before the game. Um, it's a long way off, but do you want to give us a, a, a score prediction for for next week? Manchester City three, Aston Villa nil. <laughs> Is that conservative? My my heart says spirited one all draw. My head says three one defeat as well. I think in the in the interests of um, improvement on last season, anything below the six one shafting we got last <laughs> season at home um, would be fine. Um, but I'm gonna say I'm gonna say one all. <laughs> because I never, pre- I never predict Villa to lose in any situation, so I'm going to say one all, um, and we'll, that'll move us up to 45 points, which will be 10 points better than our total from last season. So that'll be another milestone, milestone reach. A, um, a draw would be opinion. a wonderful result, you know, a wonderful, wonderful result. Yeah. Um, so you know, here's hoping. Um, but. Thanks very much, guys, for for joining me this evening um, for the podcast. Um, really good to, to chat to you again, and and uh, you know we'll perhaps do one next week after the Man City game. I would think um, if we can get it get it sorted. Um, but thanks everyone as well for listening. Um, if you want to follow us on social media, we are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and you can head over to underagaslitlamp.com for all the latest articles and writing going on um, around the first team, the academy and also the Villa women Um, so go over and check that out other than that, please stay safe and up the Villa